Vikings of the Pandemic, Episode 4, Newfoundland, September 2025. The five of them sat around the dining room table in the bright blue house on Victoria Street in St. John's. Anna Work, her mother Claire, her daughter Samantha, her son Alexander, and her husband Benjamin Patton. Samantha and Alexander were just beginning their school term at Bishopfield Elementary School, and much of the discussion centered on their day. Both Anna and Benjamin came back home to St. John's two weeks ago. Anna from Greenland and Benjamin from Georgia and Alabama, where he conducted epidemiological surveys for the CDC. The Deep South had been particularly hard hit by the pandemic. After the children went to bed, Anna, Benjamin, and Claire, a retired public health doctor who had treated many patients suffering from contagious infections, speculated about the causes, the trajectory, and treatments for this pandemic, more virulent than any they had ever seen before. Anna and Benjamin met at the University of Michigan Medical School in 2007. They both went on to get their PhDs at the School of Public Health, known throughout the world for its research. Anna concentrated her studies on the biochemistry of microorganisms endangering the public health, while Benjamin approached the discipline from an epidemiological perspective. Their interests complemented one another, and they often collaborated on studies widely published in major public health journals. I have to go away at the end of the month, Anna said. I will be up on the northern peninsula and St. Anthony. My colleague, Gupta Arwal, who was in Greenland with me, was looking into the medicinal properties of carnivorous plants. He had to return to India, but recommended that a study be made of the carnivorous plants that live in the limestone barriers on the northern peninsula. I will be teaming up with a couple of the biologists who work at the regional hospital. Your team's focus on the medicinal plants is fascinating, Claire said. Is this a throwback to older times before the age of miracle drugs? I have heard family stories about ancestors of ours with knowledge of traditional healing practices. Claire rested her head on her fist, a slight frown on her face. She was trying to recall something from her past that was relevant to their discussion. I wish that I'd studied more botany during my medical training, Anna acknowledged, looking at her mother's pensive expression. The world is still in need of new and untried medicines that could help humans fight off emerging diseases. In Greenland, I was analyzing soil and water samples as well as live specimens. Is there some geological element that we need to consider here? There is a reason why the North has been less affected by this virus. I will be collecting plants found in the alkaline environment of the limestone barrens, as I would like to find out if plants found in an alkaline environment can neutralize this acid-based virus. Benjamin poured himself another glass of wine. I think that your team is on the right track, 
He raised his glass to his wife. Time is of the essence, Anna. Unlike other pandemics, this one shows no sign of dying out. Our timeline shows lulls in contagion, but it starts up again without a, within a matter of weeks, and it's stronger. The dormancy period allows the virus to mutate into a more virulent strain. I will be staying here in St. John's, writing my reports for the CDC. I will also be investigating the resistance in some indigenous populations to strains of this virus. I would like to conduct an epidemiological study in Greenland or none of it. Anna looked at Benjamin with interest. The immunity of the Inuit people has been something that I have been noticing in my work. When I am in St. Anthony, I will be able to collect some data from the regional hospital. The healthcare system headquartered there serves many native people on the northern peninsula as well as Labrador. Benjamin stood up and looked out the dining room window, overlooking a very small backyard. He turned back to Anna and Claire. St. Anthony Hospital historically contributed a lot to the public health and well-being of Canada's northerners. It was founded by Dr. Wilford Grenville, who established a network of health and social services in the coastal communities of Newfoundland and Labrador in the early 1900s, and he trained the physicians and nurses to provide care in these facilities. Many medical students, including Americans, volunteered in the summer months at the Grenfell Mission, as it was, as it was called. Claire sat up. That's it. That is what I was trying to remember. My grandfather, Anna's great-grandfather, Robert Work, met Dr. Grenville in Chicago. Dr. Grenville's wife was born in Chicago, and they did a lot of fundraising there for the Grenfell Mission and recruited students from the medical school. Robert might have even served as an intern at one of the Grenville clinics, as he was quite taken with Dr. Grenville. He kept a journal that I brought with me along with other family papers. I will look for it tomorrow. I want you to read about his experiences up there, Anna, before you go. Wow, what a coincidence that we are talking about a place that my great-grandfather might have visited and even worked in. I hope you find those journals, Mom, said Anna. The next morning, Claire went down into the damp basement, turning on a single overhead light. Several of her boxes were stacked in the corner. She picked up two boxes and put them on an old desk that sat in the middle of the room. She began to look through the papers that, because of her busy life, she had long ignored. Her grandfather, Robert, had given her his journals just before he passed away in 1980. In 1980, Robert came to Claire's wedding to Joseph Marshfield in Pittsburgh. Claire's father, Thomas Work, a Presbyterian minister, officiated at the ceremony. Joseph Marshfield was a native of Monsoon, Massachusetts. Claire and Joseph met at the University of Pennsylvania. In 1980, Clara was in her second year of medical school, and Joseph was pursuing a doctorate in health economics and health services management. The wedding was the last time Claire saw her grandfather. Robert wanted Claire to have the family papers and his journals because she was carrying on a family tradition of medicine and healing. 
The first box contained varied articles, papers, and newspaper clippings. Many of the newspaper articles had been collected by Clara's father, Thomas, and his wife, who lived in Pittsburgh for many years. A small box contained photographs and other keepsakes that belonged to Robert's aunt, Rachel, work. Claire opened the second box, and underneath some smaller boxes and papers, she found three numbered notebooks bound in maroon leather that were filled with her grandfather's writing. They covered 50 years, volume one beginning in 1918, the year when Robert started medical school, and volume three ending in 1968, the year he retired from his practice in Chicago. At the very bottom of the box lay a 10 by 12 album bound in green leather with the title Work Family History, 1660 to 1900 in gold letters. On the inside cover was an inscription to Robert, Dr. Robert Work from Aunt Rachel Work, November 1942. Claire brushed the dust off the journals and the family history and climbed back upstairs with them in her arms. Anna, I have found your great-grandfather's journals. Anna came over to the kitchen table where her mother was flipping through volume one. Oh my goodness, he was in Chicago at the medical school during the outbreak of the Spanish flu of 1918. Look at this. He's describing the symptoms in detail here. Claire held up a sketch of a patient and how each part of the body was infected by the virus. Claire and Anna looked at the drawing and the carefully written notations. Anna looked at the kitchen clock. Okay, Mom, we have to go pick up the kids now from school. I need to read his account of the 1918 flu pandemic. We are dealing with a different virus now, but maybe there's something we can learn from his observation. I also want to see a great-grandfather wrote about the Grenfell mission. I am so happy you brought these with you, Mom. Mother and daughter put down the journals, put on their face masks, and walked outside, talking excitedly about the journals as they headed to the school. In the next two weeks, Anna, Clara, and Benjamin pored over the journals of Dr. Robert Work. His description of the 1918 influenza outbreak were detailed and vivid. Chicago had been hit hard by the virus in October of that year, aided by the fact that recruits, particularly sailors, were in the city to be trained for the war effort. The recruits lived on base in close conditions, making it impossible to prevent the spread of the virus. The city's public health officials implemented mobility, quarantine, and social gathering measures as the epidemic grew. Medical and nursing schools students were called in as hospitals and clinics became overwhelmed. They compared the symptoms of the 1918 epidemic to those that marked the 2020 coronavirus pandemic and the symptoms they were observing now. The virus in all cases was airborne and respiratory in nature in the early stages. The consumption virus, however, was attacking more than the respiratory system. DNA analysis suggested that two or perhaps three dead viruses had merged, each with its own lethality. The fact that the neurological system of some victims was under attack was particularly disturbing. Finding a treatment, let alone a vaccine, for this monster would be very challenging, perhaps impossible.
because of the virus's variability and ability to mutate. No natural immunity had been discovered, the one exception to this were the Inuit in the far north. Anna read Robert's account of his internship at the Grenfell Mission. He spent the summer of 1922 in Newfoundland. This was at the end of his medical training and before he began his residency in surgery. The Spanish flu infection rate had declined by 1920. No treatments other than public health measures were discovered. In 1922, the coastal communities that the mission served were still recovering from the economic and social aftermath of the pandemic. Robert noted that the NU and Inuit of Labrador suffered greatly, with about one-third of the population dying from the virus. The, to combat the economic decline, Dr. Renville established enterprises making and selling native crafts as a way to supplement income from hunting and fishing. Many women were employed in these industries. Robert wrote about one visit he made to the Grenville Hospital in Northwest River in Labrador. He described his visit to the Hudson Bay Trading Post located near the hospital. I was surprised to meet a young employee at the Trading Post with the last name of Work, spelled exactly like my last name. His name is John Work and I discovered that his ancestors, like mine, were from Orkney. He told me that a number of works left Orkney and saw employment with the Hudson Bay Company in the 17 and 1800s. They came to Canada as trappers, laborers, and most famously boatmen, navigating the inland waters in support of the fur trade. One of his ancestors was brought over by the company in the early 1800s to farm in the Red River settlement in Manitoba. Following family tradition, John signed on as an employee with the company and moved around to different forts and trading posts in the far north. I would be very interested to find out more about this branch of the work clan. Anna showed this passage to Claire. I wonder how much Robert knew about the work family history before he left for Newfoundland, Claire said. The works were originally from the Orkney Islands. The family records we have about the family are mostly about early settlement in Pennsylvania before and after the American Revolution. I've never seen reference to Canada in these letters and records. It's exciting, Anna, that there are branches here, maybe even in Newfoundland. I want to read the family history, but it'll have to be wait until after I come back from St. Anthony, said Anna. I'm afraid I must go out to the lab and do more research on the specimens we brought back from Greenland. Mother, mother, I find it hard to believe and so exciting that when I visit the regional hospital in St. Anthony's, I'm following the path of my great-grandfather that he took over 100 years ago history repeating itself. Anna drove east out of St. John's towards Cape Spear the next morning. The WHO lab was located in the foundation of a bunker built by Allied forces during World War II at the height of the North Atlantic Sea Battle. Cape Spear is the furthest eastern point of the North American continent. Big guns were positioned over the entrance to St. John's Bay to guard against possible U-boats entering Canada. The bunkers provided a secure location for their high-security laboratory work. 
Anna and other members of her team, biochemists and biologists, were investigating the properties of a variety of plants, marine life, and soil samples, samples testing them against the virus. Gupta Orwal would be back from India in a month's time, but Lily Alvasaki was hard at work in her lab with several lab assistants analyzing the changing DNA and structure of the virus. A Canadian biochemist, Leonard Buchanan from New Brunswick, was reviewing printouts of their latest work with his lab assistant. When Anna entered the office, he waved her over to the desk. I want to introduce you to Christina Anawak, our new lab assistant. Christina, this is Anna Work, another biochemist. Anna and Christina greeted each other. Anna wondered if Christina was Inuit. They needed more indigenous people on their team. Leonard continued reading her thoughts. Christina is from Nunavut and joined us while you were in Greenland. She is a biologist and is familiar with the flora and fauna of the Arctic region where she lives. The women in my family have been collecting and using natural products for healing for many, many generations. I am stationed in the research center at Cambridge Bay, but they agreed to loan me out to your lab while you're researching these northern collections. The Arctic might provide some clues about the virus and possible treatments. Christina's young face showed her dedication to the work that lay ahead and her optimism that discoveries could be made. Anna and Leonard beamed. She was like a breath of fresh air. Anna, we have found a very strong virucide in the Arctic slug you brought back from Greenland, Leonard said, and it is specific to several strains of the virus. It was extracted from a substance on the skin. Leonard found it hard to contain his excitement. Christina, tell Anna what you told me about the slug. I have seen slugs similar to this one lately in my collections over the summer in Nunavut. In speaking to those who have been collecting specimens for many decades, they tell me that this is a different species from our slugs and arctic cucumbers. For one thing, it's much larger. The biologists in Cambridge Bay have sent us some analysis. The secretions are quite unique. These biologists believe that we are seeing this species now because of the acceleration of climate change in the Arctic. The melting ice is uncovering marine life that we have never seen before. Anna looked at the diagrams of the slug and analysis of its biochemical makeup then looked up at her colleagues. Christina continued, The healers in my family have used extracts from marine slugs in their traditional practice. I want to compare the extracts from this new species to the medicines my people have utilized in the past. Christina, this will provide us with much insight, Anna said. Would your people have any idea how and why some of the Inuits seem to be immune to this new virus? Epidemiologists are puzzling over this, as they have not found many cases of natural immunity during this pandemic. Is this something we could pursue with your colleagues in Cambridge Bay? Christine looked at Anna. Leonard and I have been 
have been discussing this too. Some believe the immunity is caused by the isolation of her people, but I'm not convinced. There's a lot of travel back and forth to the south by some Inuit, and to my knowledge, very few have been stricken. I will let them know what your questions are. I will take a copy of your report with me to St. Anthony's next week. I'm meeting with some of the biologists there. Anna explained to Leonard and Christina that she was visiting St. Anthony to follow up on Gupta's hunch that some of the carnivorous plants and other plants on the limestone barriers in the northern peninsula that could be producing antiviral enzymes should be inspected she would be bringing back more specimens for the lab to analyze. On her way home, she stopped by Lily's desk, asking her about her family. Recently, her parents received permission to join her husband and children in Canada, so she was feeling more secure about her family's health and safety. Anna would be attending Lily's update tomorrow, reviewing the current evolution of the virus. Anna was anxious to hear her views on the consumption virus and how it had spread so quickly around the globe. Several scientists were suggesting that virus spread was aided by migrating birds, but the origin of the virus was still being disputed. A few days later, Anna caught a flight in one of the small airplanes commuting between St. John's and the outer ports. The head of the research lab at St. Anthony's Regional Hospital, Dr. Stanley Connors, an oceanographer and climatologist, met her at the airport and took her to the former nurse's dormitory near the hospital where she would be spending her nights. The hospital was located very close to the fishing port in a small but active downtown. He introduced her to two field biologists she would be working with over the next three days. Brian Haig, Elizabeth Chung, and Anna boarded the hospital's research boat the next morning and started north to the tip of the peninsula. The captain, whose name was Alexander, pointed out the many inlets and topography of the peninsula. They came upon a large bay and meadow dotted with log cabins and turf houses. Lance O'Meadows, where Leif Erikson of Greenland established his camp in Finland. Alexander pointed out the different structures. There were a few tourists wearing masks walking from one site to another. I hope I have time to stop here, Anna said. I just spent some time in Greenland, very close to the homestead of Eric the Red and Leif Erikson. Anna looked out on the scene. I can arrange that, said Alexander. I know a tour guide who works there. Let me know when you have time to go. The boat rounded the northern tip of the peninsula, entering a wide strait separating Newfoundland and Labrador. Further east, they could see a ferry crossing the street, the strait heading towards Labrador. Their small boat headed for a dock the limestone barriers. Alexander pointed out to the rough rocks and terrain rising above the shoreline. The three scientists spent a day collecting marshland plants, including several specimens of carnivorous plants. At lunchtime, Elizabeth explained the unique qualities of the limestone that these plants clung, clung to 
and were nourished by. Anna brought them up to date on the biochemistry of the virus and a working theory that the enzymes produced by these alkaline-based plants could have a disruptive effect on the chemical and physiological makeup of the virus. While they were returning to the boat, Anna turned her attention to the shore life, asking if they had observed different species emerging because of climate change and rising water levels. Brian walked into the shallow water, bringing up several samples of enemies and slugs. They took these back to the lab as well. The following day, the three went out to collect plants from the tundra, including mosses and underground plants that grew on the limestone surface. On the third afternoon, a sunny warm day, Alexander took Anna and Elizabeth on the boat to Lonzo Meadows for a tour of the historic site. Elizabeth, who was very interested in Anna's work with medicinal plants, was from British Columbia and had not had a chance to visit the historic site. After a tour by Alexander's friend and a lovely meal at a local seafood restaurant, they cruised back to St. Anthony's. Anna, sitting in the cockpit, had a chance to talk to Alexander. He told her that he had been working on boats like this and larger since he was very young. He took the job in Newfoundland after he became a captain. She was amazed to discover that they had the same last name, Work. I just recently discovered that my great-grandfather came to St. Anthony's in 1922 as an intern to volunteer with Dr. Grenfell, Anna said. While he was visiting the Grenfell Hospital in Northwest River in Labrador, he met a Hudson Bay employee named John Work. He had no idea that members of the Work family left Orkney for Canada. And now I meet you, another work. This is almost too much of a coincidence. She was especially surprised by this discovery, as she assumed by Alexander's complexion that he was of a rev aboriginal descent. Well, that would be my great-grandfather, John Work, replied Alexander. He worked for the Hudson Bay Company as at many outposts in the subarctic and arctic, including the Northwest Post, until his retirement to Rigolette in the 1960s. This was before my time. He married an Inuit woman who was my great-grandmother. Alexander and Anna both commented on how strange that they should be brought together just like their great-grandfathers were before them. They all had breakfast together before Anna took the plane back to St. John's, promising to stay in touch as new discoveries were made. Alexander promised to find a work family connection who could tell Anna about the works in Canada. At some point, when this pandemic was over, Anna vowed to take a trip across the Canada, across Canada with her family and meet her newfound relations.